Thanks for listening to the Voice Church Podcast. We are a new life-giving multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, all right, go ahead and find a seat. Go and find a seat. All right. Anybody meet somebody new? You meet somebody new? Like, ah, yeah, okay, cool. Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to uh, Voice. If we could bring the house, up, house lights up just a little bit, uh, I like to be able to see. I know it kind of ruins like the effect, but I like to be able to see your faces a little bit. Uh, so, uh, hey, well, hey, welcome to Voice. Hope you guys are doing good. Uh, thank you, worship team. I don't know where you guys are at. Kind of spread all over the place. Uh, did such a good job. I, I always got to tell myself, uh, I, I'm, I'm, how many of you guys are like sweaters? Like, I, I, like not you are a, like a sweat too much. Like, I feel like I, when I'm like thinking about warming up to work out, I start sweating. You know what I mean? So, so I got to be careful uh, during uh, worship because I'll lose my voice and then I'll just be like, you know, I'm wearing a white t-shirt today. That could be really uh, a memorable experience for all of us if you know, I started sweating too much. So, anywho, uh, why did I tell you that? Thank you, worship team. Uh, so I have to keep myself back from uh, engaging too much in worship. Uh, anyways, uh, can we also uh, show some love to Kaya, who hosted today? First time. First time she hosted. That takes a lot of guts. You know, she's a freshman in high school. Right? I don't know about you, but there's no way. There had to be some zeros attached for me to do something like this as a freshman in high school. So, you know, we don't believe that, you know, we say this all the time, we don't believe the youth and our future leaders, they're leaders now, and she just, you know, one day, I want to be like her when I grew up. So, awesome. Hey, we're in this series called uh, The Mandalorian. Mandalorian, or no, sorry, we're not in a series called This is the Way. Uh, sorry. My brain, not enough coffee. We are in a series called This is the Way, not the Mandalorian. But it's from the TV show Mandalorian. And the whole idea is that there's these people called Mandalorians. And they're from this planet called what? Mandalore. Yeah, Mandalore. And they have this whole code of ethics, what we've been talking about. They have this whole code of ethics, and they left their planet, and they're around the universe in different places. And so they're in these foreign cultures, but yet they're holding on to their code of ethics that they have as Mandalorians. And so there comes these times where they have to make these decisions that are uncomfortable or sacrificial, and whenever they get to this point of like, I don't want to do this, but the person or the leader or the person having to make the sacrifice says what? This is the way. And then like a cult, everyone repeats around them, this is the way, right? And so in other words, what they're saying is this is what we committed to. Like at any time, we can walk away, take off our helm and walk away from this uh, you know, calling ourselves Mandalorians, but if we're going to say we're Mandalorians, then this is the way. This is the way that we act, and the way, this is what we've committed to, right? And so they didn't ask, you know, what's convenient for me in this moment. They don't ask what's, com- what's comfortable for me in this moment. They didn't ask, what do my friends want me to do? What do my parents want me to do? They would say, what have I committed myself to? And as Christians, as believers, there's so many times where we have to say, okay, not what do I feel in the moment, not what's comfortable for me in the moment, what do I want to do, what do my, what my parents want me to do, what does my friends want me to do, what does the HOA want me to do, right? What, like, what, what have I committed myself to? The thing about priorities is those are, they're pre-decisions, right? My old pastor used to say that priorities were pre-choice choices. 
Right? These were decisions before the decision, so you don't have to think about it in the moment. You've already predecided. And a lot of times, this is the way of Jesus. And so for those that are Christians in the room, you know, and I realize that hopefully there's uh, some of you guys in the room or watching online or listening to the podcast that are not believers yet. You know, Spurgeon would say that you're just kind of walking around the wicked gate. You're checking it out, scoping it out. We'll, we'll see. Dip a toe maybe, right? Super glad that you guys are here. But for those of us that call ourselves Christians, uh, we are not just attenders of the service. We are not just keepers of the doctrine, memorizers of the Bible. We are followers of the way. We are followers of the way. So we can put this on the screen. Our main goal as followers of Jesus, so we, we don't want to get this twisted. Here's who we are. Our main goal as followers of Jesus is to become better followers of Jesus. That's our goal. That's our goal. Dallas Willard, a theologian, he since passed away, but he was once asked, what does it mean to be like a fully formed disciple of Christ? And I love his answer. He said, this is not on the screen, but um, it's in here. Uh, he, what he said was uh, to naturally do what Jesus would do if Jesus were you. That's the goal of every disciple, every follower of Christ. Not to have the songs memorized at church, not to cuss less, although it's probably good if you're cussed like a drunken sailor, but like to, to naturally do what Jesus would do if Jesus were you. So this is our goal, is become better and better followers of Christ. So if you want to know if you're growing spiritually, it's not have you memorized more scripture. It's not bad. Of course, it's great to memorize scripture. It's not you attend church more than you used to. It's not do you tithe more than you used to. It's not are you in a small group or you volunteer more than you used to. It's are you a better follower of Jesus than you were before? Do you more naturally follow the way of Jesus? And so they asked Dallas in this, in this uh, interview, how do you know when you're doing well spiritually? And his answer was so simple. He just goes, I get angry less. It's like, it's like, okay, you're awesome. How do we get that? So can we be people, can we be followers of Christ that with humility really try to follow what Jesus said that we should do? In the middle of maybe insecurities that you're facing, that I face, in the middle of pride that you're battling. Some of you guys battle with pride, right? I know I do. Some of us in the middle of wrestling with ambition and what's a healthy amount of ambition and what is ego. In the middle of maybe hurt, Hurt from people, hurt from Christians, hurt from the church, right? In the middle of wrestling with all that, in the middle of wrestling with doubts, wrestling with fear. You know Christians have doubts? Christians have fear? There's times, you know, I actually believe if you have never doubted your faith, you've never really believed. So there's times where you're going to doubt. So in the middle of wrestling with doubts and wrestling with, you know, one, one, of, one of the people that Jesus applauded was someone that said, I have some belief, would you help me with my unbelief? Right? So in the middle of doubts, in the middle of fear, maybe in the, middle, uh, in the middle of battles with anxiety or depression or mental illness, and that's your struggle, that's your internal, and maybe no one would ever know from the outside, but you know what the demons you fight with on the inside. In the middle of all that, in the middle of battles with maybe materialism, and we're in OC, right? What we have is never enough, just a little more, right? In the middle of all those battles, can we predecide that Jesus' way is the best way? Can we pursue God in the middle of this mess that we call our daily lives? That's the goal. The goal is not perfection. If you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. And if you think I'm perfect, you're in the wrong church. Talk to my family. They'll tell you in technicolor detail that I'm not uh, perfect anyway, right? So let me, let, me, let, me, let me talk about someone who I think is, is kind of ep epitomizes this. Uh, his name is David. Actually, he's back there on the soundboard, not the biblical David. Uh, David on the soundboard, he's hanging his head because he doesn't want to be seen right now. This is what I love about David. 
Okay, this is actually David. Uh, see the chubby guy on the right? That's me. And then uh, David, uh, looking like Asian Mr. Clean, that's, uh, that's, that's the day he got baptized. All right. Um, so David came to the church because his cousin's then fiance uh, started watching voice online. So those of you guys that help out with like online stuff, you're, you're actually making a difference. Uh, so she started coming. David started coming. Uh, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus, committing his life to Jesus. We had the honor of baptizing him out there in Corona Del Mar, went through engage class. And David has a background, kind of a God-given passion for music, producing, recording, all that kind of stuff. Uh, some say he raps. We'll see. Uh, yeah, some of you guys have heard it. So, and, but the thing is, David lives pretty far away, 40 minutes away, an hour away, depending on traffic. And he fights traffic to serve here at church. A, a few months ago, we were having dinner with uh, his cousin, and is now cousin's wife. I don't know what make Polly, what that is to him now. I, I really get confused with that stuff. Mahoney. What's that? Mahoney. Oh yeah, so uh, Kenneth and, and uh, uh, homie Polly. So that's, uh, had dinner with them, and, and they were talking about how uh, David was the last person they thought would ever become a Christian. And here he is. And, and what's so cool is they, they said uh, that and David wasn't there, so they weren't just blowing smoke. They said that him living it out, and not just for a week, but for a long time now, has changed, has impacted their family. And so it's, uh, it's awesome. What I love most about David, and you even heard it during worship today, is that when he runs sound, there's times where he'll be like a, like a, like a DJ. He's running sound. He's got his hand lifted, and he's worshiping. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So anyways, David, we love you. Thank you for pursuing God in the middle of the mess. We're so proud of you. We, we, we planted voice for people like you, Dave. We're so glad you're here. Uh, anyways, I want to read a passage uh, about the early church because it has a lot of implications for us uh, today. And uh, there's a guy named Saul who later became Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? So he converted to following Jesus, and then 14 years later, he went on what's called a missionary journey, his first missionary journey. In other words, he just planted churches where there were no churches uh, all, all over the area. Eventually, kind of the end of the story, uh, is that he was arrested and executed by a guy, a guy named Nero. You guys heard of Nero? So in AD 67, he was executed. But before that, uh, uh, back in Jerusalem, while he was on, he just had finished his first missionary journey. Uh, back in Jerusalem, in Judea, there was this controversy kind of stirring up the local church there. So the church started in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then there was this controversy because there was these crazy people called Gentiles, which are like most of us. Right, unless you're Jewish, uh, it's us. Right? We're these dirty Gentiles. And so they started coming to the church too because they, they heard that this Jesus wasn't just for the Jews, the Jews first, but then also on to, uh, for them too, that the hope was for us too. So they started coming to the church and the church was never for them. And so there's this controversy of like, how good do you have to be to be part of the church? How cleaned up do you have to be to be part of the church? And this controversy could have split the church, but it didn't. And what happened is why we're here today as a group of dirty Gentiles worshiping God, right? It was a huge controversy, and it not only was 2,000 years ago, it's this question that's resurfaced over and over again throughout history and is what churches deal with and struggle with today. And the question is, how good is, does a person have to be in order? That's, that's my fault. That's not the tech people's fault. Sometimes you blame tech. That's my typo. How good does a person have to be in order to be a part of the church? Some of you guys grammar Nazis are like, I am leaving right now. How good is a person have to be? Uh, does a person have to be in order to be part of the church? And then the follow-up is that who is a church for? It's a big question. 
Is the church for insiders or for outsiders? Because you do stuff differently. You sing different songs for insiders than you do for outsiders, right? Because if it's for insiders, it's like, okay, you know, Casey Kasem, you know, request and dedicate a song. If it's for outsiders, then you want to sing songs that make sense. You don't want to sing songs that confuse, right? And so who's the church for? The focus of Paul's ministry in this missionary journey was outsiders, non-Jews, Gentiles, letting them know that Jesus was for them too. And a lot of Jews at the time believed that you, since Jesus was Jewish and the, uh, he fulfilled Jewish prophecy, that you had to become Jewish before you could follow Jesus, right? And so it's like a foreign concept to us. Like none of us would be like, yeah, I have to be Jewish first, you know, to become Christian. But that's what the Jewish people thought because they brought in their traditions and their culture into this new intersection of faith of Jesus. So now all these new people coming in, you got to believe what we believe. You have to memorize all these laws too and follow them. And this is what happens in the church all the time. Grace and truth collide, right? Grace and truth collide. And we feel like we have to find a balance in them. But Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. I don't believe Jesus was a balance of grace and truth. I don't think he watered down either of them. He was a fulfillment of grace. He was a fulfillment of truth. He would, have, he would you know, talk to like the woman caught in adultery. Awkward, right? Literally caught in the act of adultery. And then he would say he would protect her, protect her rights, defend her, right? Make sure that no one, i.e. church people, would hurt her right? Put his neck on the line. Well, there's grace. But then he said, hey, stop it. Go and sin no more. Truth. Full truth, full grace. He lived at that intersection constantly. And we as church people do a really bad job at this, me included, right? As a church, if we're not careful, we will drift towards what is familiar, what is comfortable, and what is manageable. So this is a crazy story to me. And, the whole, you know, there's people who think, like, the Bible is made up and people just wrote it just to control, you know, weak-minded people or to be a god of the gaps and that kind of thing. The problem is, like, stories like this, because you would have never written this story this way if you were making up a story because it makes the OGs look stupid, right? And so here's what I walk into. Uh, kind of the backstory uh, is the church is about 20 years old, so at this point, Jesus uh, resurrected, ascended 20 years ago. This is the Council of Jerusalem, if you want to know the historical side. Uh, it's in about 48 AD, 48 to 50 AD, uh, right after Paul's first missionary journey. So 14 years after Paul converted, he went on his little tour, came back. 48 AD, this is what happens. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to read most of it, but not all of it. Um, I'm not saying... All the Bible is equally inspired, just not all of it is equally applicable. Okay, so today, particularly, so you guys, some of you guys are like, ah, that's heresy. Well, let's talk about it. So uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, if you want to read more on your own, I highly encourage you to read the Bible on your own. Uh, you can do that, but we're, this we're going to read. Verse 1, certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch uh, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, uh, you cannot be saved. And so if you have your child in the room, uh, sorry, uh, but we're going to talk about circumcision today and hope we don't Google things. Uh, and we have a great middle school ministry, great kids ministry, uh, if you want to take advantage of that. <laughs> but um, anyways, so, uh, so imagine being like a Gentile in this first century church. 
You thought you were out, and now you found out you were in. You found out that salvation can't be earned. It's not from having the right family, not from being the right ethnicity, not from being on the right side of the tracks. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, you're in. You're in. And then some, some doofuses come down and tell you that, hey, yes, Jesus, there's also a little bit of surgery involved, Right? Like, we had engage class. Like, it's like a membership class kind of thing yesterday at the house, and some a bunch of people came over and for that. So imagine if we're like, hey, come to engage. Uh, you'll talk about foundations of the faith. If you're not circumcised, we'll do that there too, uh, right? I mean, like, like, the membership class would be just all women and children. You know what I mean? It's like the men would just like, we're just going to hang out in the car. Babe, you go in. It's going to prey on this a little bit, right? Not a whole lot of guys in class. So this is what's happening. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So they hiked up to to Jerusalem, and they were like angry marching. Like, I'm going to set these guys straight. And then they were, as they were walking through places like Phoenicia and Samaria, they were letting them know, hey, just so you, just so you know, all this great stuff is happening. Because there was no, like, app for news. I mean, so th- this is how you, news uh, spread. But look in verse 2. Who do they go to talk to? The apostles. Okay, so I want you to catch what's going on here. Paul and Barnabas are going up to Jerusalem where Jesus' disciples who are now apostles, the OGs, Peter, James, John, Matthew, these guys, right? Paul is going to go set them straight, right? Because Paul's going up there going, hey, guys, you're really messing things up for me. What you guys are teaching is wrong. That takes some guts, and it takes some humility on the side of uh, Peter and those guys to come to the conclusion they did. We'll get there. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, good, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So Paul fills them in on all the amazing things. Man, we went to this town, and we met these people, and we planted this church, and man, all these Gentiles are coming to Jesus in mass, right? And he's talking about how, hey, we haven't taught them that they have to clean themselves up first, We haven't taught them that, hey, why don't you try to live like Jesus for six months, and if it doesn't take, then you're not allowed to be a part of the church. But if you clean yourself up enough, then you can become a Christian. He never told them that. He never told them, hey, you have to follow all the rules of Moses. So start with these first five books of the Bible and memorize them, and we'll go from there. I'll circle back with you in a few months. He didn't do that. He said Jesus is enough. The cross was enough. That there's nothing you can do to earn God's love, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. It's a gift. You just have to accept it. And the next part is wild. Verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So first of all, we can skip over this a lot of times. And a lot of times when, when this story is preached, they skip over this part. But who's becoming followers of Jesus? Pharisees. They were the ones who condemned Jesus to die, right? These are not like buddy buddies. Yet when they see this guy who claimed to be Messiah die and resurrect, and they see him resurrected, 
I don't know about you. There's a pastor down in Atlanta that says, if somebody predicts their death and resurrection and then does it, you should listen to what he has to say, right? I'm just going to go with that guy. And so a lot of these Pharisees are going, you're not the Messiah. My bad. Yeah, you were. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, you're resurrected. We saw you die. We saw you buried. Now you're resurrected. You were right. So they became followers, but they also brought the baggage of their tradition, the good stuff of their tradition, but the baggage of their tradition too. So some of them recognized the Messiah was the way, and this is what they were doing. They were struggling. Now, here's the thing. We give the Pharisees a bad rap a lot of times. I don't think they're jerks. I don't think these guys are bad. I don't think these guys would see themselves as legalistic. I think they would see themselves as just really trying to be faithful. Some of the most legalistic people I've ever met are just trying to be faithful. They're just trying to do what they believe is right. But they don't realize that they're actually getting in the way of what God is doing. Right? So, most of us are not Jewish, I don't think. So let me give you a little context. Most of us know the Ten Commandments, right? Maybe you could recite like six of them, right? Uh, But you know most of them, and you probably don't follow all of them. I mean, really. I know you'd like to, but you kind of don't. But you would like your kids to follow them, right? Like particularly like, you know, honor your father and mother. Yeah. (laughs) Put that one real big, bold, underline, italicized, right? Honor your father and mother. Like don't steal from me right? Like, like the other stuff, like, don't like be envious of what they have. Uh, we'll see, right? So, but we want our neighbor to follow the Ten Commandments. We want our boss to. We want our kids' friends to follow the Ten Commandments. The Jews had over 600 laws, like the Ten Commandments, 613 laws. It's a lot, right? And what they were wanting Paul to do was go, hey, go round two of your little missionary journey, Go to the same places and let them know you missed some stuff. Teach them the 613 laws, make them memorize them and obey them, get them circumcised, and then we'll talk about if they can be part of the church. And before you judge them too strictly, I want you to think about your journey of faith. If any of you guys have served God for more than 10 years, man, I guarantee you legalism has crept into your life. It's in mine. It's in mine. I am horrified by some of the stuff I said and thought and believed 10, 15 years ago, five years ago, last year. I don't know. Like I, I'm like constantly going, oh, I don't think I represented God's heart at all in that situation. I wanted to. I thought I was, but actually I was a jerk. You know what I mean? So you've, you've probably seen some people and what they were wearing, what music they listened to, or what TV shows they watched, and, and you're like, how could a Christian do that? How could a Christian wear that, watch that? say that, where you sit in service and you're going, why don't, you know, as a church, why don't we talk more about this topic? Why don't we talk less about this topic? Real Christians, real churches would talk more about this or that. Or man, that, that Christian, they're too far left. They've just lost, their mind is so open, they've, their brain's falling out, right? And the other ones are like, oh, they're too far right, they're stuck in the stone ages. I'm the perfect balance of both, but that person, they're too far left. You know the perfect amount of money that you should spend on yourself and then others is whatever money you're spending. That's like the right balance. Everyone else is off, right? And then we interact with people who don't fit our version of Christianity. We can get a little judgmental, right? And if they're in your small group, sit next to you in worship, they reveal something in the 30-second question, you're like, oh, really? You're one of those. Oh, I know, I know a news channel you listen to, Right? You get uncomfortable when someone comes in. 
That doesn't meet your invisible standard of what Christianity should be. And even if Jesus never taught on those things, there's something that matters to you. It's important to you. Even if you aren't, in, you want them to follow this invisible standard that you have, even though you aren't following the visible, clear standards that Jesus gave you. Right? So, not you, other people in other churches, but uh, here's an excerpt of what happens uh, next. You can read the whole thing in Acts chapter 15. We're going to read an excerpt of verse 7. It says this, after much discussion, in other words, it got heated. That's what that means. After much discussion means it got loud, right? Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know what? Some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter was the leader of the church, right? Jesus, you know, upon upon this rock, I I will build my church. So this is Peter. He's the first, if you guys grew up Catholic, he's the first pope of the Catholic church. Catholic just means universal church. So at that time, Peter was the first leader of the church. And God spoke to him the whole thing with Cornelius, you can read about it in the book of Acts, but made it clear that, hey, Peter, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles too. And there's a whole dream and dinner, and it's a whole thing, you should read about it. So Peter gives them a history lesson of what happened here. And this next part's huge in verse 8. God, Peter speaking still, God who knows the heart. So what Peter's saying is, hey, there's stuff happening under the surface that you and I don't see. We judge the actions. God sees what's happening many layers below that. So God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving his Holy Spirit to them, just as he did for us. He, God, made no distinction between us and them, no difference, no levels, no, you know, varsity and and JV, like, (laughs) he purified their hearts by faith. Same. And you know, there were Pharisees and religious leaders in in the room probably thinking, okay, yeah, Peter, so they purified, God purified them, but they don't dress right. God purified them, but they don't act right. They need to act right. Peter, they need to know our laws and our customs. They need to do what I have to do because my mom made me do it, so they have to do it too. So, verse 10. Now then, Peter kind of squeezes the, the, the down a little bit. He says, now then, why do you try to test God? Why do you try to provoke God? By putting on the necks of disciples. I love that he used that word. That's an important word to them. A disciple is someone who's given up everything to follow a rabbi and who the rabbi has accepted as their follower. So what Peter is saying, why are you testing, provoking, poking the bear? God, by putting on the necks of these disciples, not those Gentiles, they're disciples. A yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. He's saying, come on, guys. We don't even do this stuff, right? He's like, come on, Bob, you sin. We know you sin. We've seen you make a sin offering so many times. Karen, come on, man. We know what you do, and we know you, you keep doing it, and we don't wish you'd stop, right? Guys, what he's saying is we all fall short of the laws that we memorize. How can we expect these guys to memorize them, let alone follow them? That's a burden that God never asked us to put on them. So he goes on, verse 11, no exclamation point. We believe it is, a th- it is through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. So they're saved by grace, not by laws. Not by behavior modification. This is the part I love. In the next verse, this guy stands up, and this guy's name is James. James is the brother of Jesus. 
Same mom, Mary, different dad, not divine, right? So James is what gives me confidence to follow the claims of Jesus because James didn't become a follower of Jesus until after Jesus died and resurrected. Well, somebody's like, well, why? Well, come on. What would your brother have to do? Think about your brother or sister growing up. What would they have to do to prove to you that they were the Messiah, the Son of God? right? We're talking about this with, with Engage yesterday. I'm like, your brother could feed all of Angel Stadium with a few churros, and you'd still be like, I don't know. Like, they were really mean to me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so this is what's going on. So James, after Jesus resurrects, he's like, oh my gosh, you are. You are who you say you are. And James became a leader of the early church, one of the wisest leaders, he, his sayings are, 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 are captured in his book called James uh, in the New Testament, and it's all the wise sayings of James. He was such a wise sage in the church. So verse 19, here's what, what James says. It is my judgment, therefore. In other words, we're going to wrap this up, guys. In conclusion, it is my judgment, therefore, and my judgment matters because I'm related to the guy, Right? that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. This is probably my favorite scripture in all the Bible. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It is so easy for us with good hearts to put obstacles for people to follow God. When Jesus never did. And Jesus did and said some stuff that are like theological conundrums, right? Like he's hanging on the cross and the thief, you know, Jesus goes, I'll see you today in paradise. What? He didn't get baptized? He doesn't know basic, he doesn't know any theology. He hasn't joined a small group yet. Like he doesn't, he's never tithed. Like he doesn't go to church. He's a criminal, literally. But then that's enough? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's it. That's it. So it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, does that mean truth doesn't matter and, and convictions don't matter and holiness doesn't matter? No, it really does. But sometimes that's not a first date conversation. You know what I mean? Like when we were teaching our kids to walk, they didn't fall and we're like, idiot, you'll never get it. You know what I mean? It's like, how will you ever be a college runner if you can't even walk two steps? You, you know, come on. And sometimes we do that to, to people. We're like, you are still doing this and this and this and your outfits and the music you listen to. Why don't you get cleaned up? It's like, well, how could they? Can we just welcome them in? Right? So anyways, so we need to get, uh, we're here today because what Jesus did was he got real uncomfortable, took on discomfort, gave up his comfort, and he sacrificed so that we could have something we could never have on our own. That's the, the whole heart of the gospel. And the gospel is now you go do the same. We need to intentionally embrace discomfort. We need to intentionally embrace sacrifice for the benefit of other people. So verse 20, he gets to the nitty gritty, whereas Nacho would say the nitty gritty. So, so he says, instead, we should write to them. So he's saying, write it down, scribe, get your pen out. So email this out to all the churches that Paul spoke to. Uh, because all the guys are waiting in the parking lot in the cars, waiting to see if they can go to the membership class. So he says, we should write to them, telling them these three things. Okay, here's what you do. All you have to do. Abstain from food polluted by idols. 
okay? Not something I deal with every day. Uh, sexual immorality, and then from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Weird list, but it made sense in that time. And if you're the scribe writing this down, you're going, okay, one, two, three, got it. What else? He's like, we got to get loose here. We got a lot of stuff we got to write. We love laws. He's like, okay, I got three. Where's four? James is like, that's it. That's it. So 613 laws boiled down to essentially two. And the two laws are, hey, don't offend the Jews because you're going to have to do life with them. And they, they're going to work through their own junk of seeing the Gentile in the church of like, how can they be here? And so can you just like not do stuff that's going to royally offend them? Like don't eat like food that's connected to idols and strangled blood and just... I know it's some of your cultural stuff, but just can you at least hold back from that? It's not a sin thing. It's just a give them a little bit of grace. Can we compromise a little bit here? You're going to have to do life with them. Don't unnecessarily offend them, right? And then sexual immorality. Can we just, there's some things that affect your heart more than other things. And can we just abstain from those two things? Let's go get, let's go get, go get lunch. That's it. That's it, right? Welcome to church. It's not even two commandments. It's like one and a half commandments. It's not even 10 commandments, right? He said, so let's go do this. Verse 21, James says, For Moses had preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So James is saying the reason why these three laws are, three, not laws, these three guidelines are important is because church is in synagogues in all these regions. And so you're going to go into Jewish areas soaked with deep tradition and meaning for these people. And I know these things don't mean anything for you Gentiles, but can you just at least just do life with them in a way that isn't unnecessarily offensive, right? So they wrote it up, they sent it out in the email chain, and the few verses later in verse 31, it says, the people read it and they were glad. I bet they were, right? I bet the guys were really glad and for its encouraging message. So why do we bring this up today? What is the point of all this as we're talking about? This is not like a neat little history lesson on circumcision. Because I think as we navigate through what does it mean, who is a church for, there are three drifts that we kind of move towards. We need to work upstream. And you got to recognize the fact that you are walking upstream on some of these. The natural drift, the first one, is towards law and away from grace. I don't know why, but the longer someone should follows Jesus, the more soft-hearted, the more humble, the kinder, the more loving they should be. I don't know, fruit of the Spirit stuff, right? But for whatever reason, too many times, and we all know people like this, and sometimes you is people like this, that the longer you follow Jesus, the more of a jerk you are, right? Why is that? Because of this. It's a drift towards law, and not towards grace. Some of the reason why some of you guys left church for a long time is because there was someone who was the holiness person and they were, and you don't understand what they're talking about because it was rules before relationship and rules before relationship always leads to rebellion. It always does. A relationship has to happen before rules. That's what Jesus did. Anyways, so not, we have to fight the drift towards law and away from grace. This is not in theology. I'm not saying we throw away theology. Theology matters. I'm not saying throw away holiness. Holiness matters. This means practically how we treat people, that before we think about our posture on a particular topic or a policy on a particular topic, we think about our tone, right? Jews thought in terms of categories. Who's Jewish? Who's, who's Gentile, right? We're the same way. 
You know, at one time, the church was uh, for segregation. This never would have happened. So many times where we ask people, how'd you find voice? Like, I, I literally Googled multi-ethnic church, right? That would have been a sin in so much of the church or history culture, right? Because segregation was what we promoted. Interracial couples were banned in churches for a long time. Google it. Very recently, were interracial couples accepted in churches. I am a product of an interracial marriage, right? Our kids are, right? A lot of you guys are. We got a lot of squirrel babies, hoppas around here, right? So same kind of deal. So we need to have fewer policies and more conversations. Have fewer policies and more conversations. And I know it's messy. It's messy whenever people email in and they're like, what's your stance on this or that? It's like, when are you free for coffee? Not going to give you a soundbite. I'm going to try to connect my heart to yours and let's see if we can download a perspective. Because you're not going to hide behind a policy here at church and it's messy. I know it's way easier to have just a white paper on it and a clear thing you can just tweet out, right? It gets real messy. But remember, God knows the hearts. What Peter said, God knows the heart. And God is working on hearts underneath the surface long before we see any behavior modification. And the reason why we know that's true is isn't that how God works in your heart? Because someone on the outside may see that person is, always deals with anger, but you have, they have no idea how much God is working on you. And you're trying not to be. Right? The person may see that person is so selfish or that person is so whatever. And you're like, I really don't want to be. And God is working on your heart. So we want to judge people by their actions and we want to be judged for our intentions. What this is saying is, can we just trust that God is working on hearts? So second drift is the drift towards preserving rather than advancing. The drift towards preserving rather than advancing. The Jews were just trying to protect their culture. The Jews were just trying to protect their, their traditions that were rich, that were good, right? And it's totally understandable. The problem was they found themselves literally getting in the way what God was doing. God was saying, I want these people to be in. They're like, I don't know. God, we have all these rules. We have all these laws that are really meaningful and festivals and feasts and all these great things that are an important, it's not even a theological thing. It was a theocracy. So this is an, an important part of our culture. They got to do that stuff too or else we're going to lose this. See, people aren't afraid of, of change. They're afraid of loss. And so out of an understandable heart, the Jews were saying, but if they're in, that means we need to change. That means we're going to lose some of our culture. Yes, you will. You will. And we're going to honor the past, but we're not going to live in the past. We're going to honor the past and we're going to build for the future. Human nature is to protect tradition. And we're just not going to do that. There are no golden calves here at, at Voice. We just will never have one. We talked about yesterday engaged. I'm like, I hope I never hear someone say, this is the way we'll always do it because this is the way we've always done it. That's a terrible reason to do something. The better question is to ask, why did you start doing it in the first place? And if you were asking that same question, looking for a solution today, would you come to that same conclusion? Does it still work today? And if it doesn't, do something else, Right? We can become less vision-driven and more preserve what we have driven. So we have to constantly ask. There's a big question we need to constantly ask. What's God doing today? What's God doing today? And you know, the, 
you don't have to bring God to your workplace. God's already working on hearts in your workplace. You don't have to bring God to your neighborhood. God's like this little, this little puppy that's tagging along to your great vision. God's already working on your neighbors. So when God says, just talk to your neighbor and just tell them their lawn looks nice or just tell them, ask me if you can pray for them, that prompting is a continuation of what God's already working on their hearts. So we will honor the past, we will honor tradition, but we will not live there. Last drift, and this is the important one for us today. They're all important, but this one's important too, is the drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. This is a drift we have to fight. The Jewish believers were really comfortable having people around them that looked like them, that did life like them, that believed like them, that ate like them, that their, their food smelled the same. Like, it's really comfortable. And a lot of us are the same way, right? A lot of us do life like a second-grade soccer team. We have, like, this fatal clump disease. We just clump together with people that just look like us, dress like us, smell like us, eat like us, Right? do faith like us. We want to huddle around the familiar and God is calling us on an adventure. We want nothing to change and God's like, I have something better for you, man. It's going to be full of risk, sacrifice, super uncomfortable. But at the end of it all, you're not going to regret a thing. It's going to be an adventure. And it's natural for every organization, the church is no exception, to just cater to the, to the paying customer in a sense. But the church is not for church people. That's not what we believe. If you think the church is for church people, you're at the wrong church. Are we going to build up the church and build people? Of course. But we as the church, not the building, we as the church, what we are for is for those that are not in the church. Remember when Jesus talked about leaving the 99 to go after the one? He meant it. C.S. Lewis said the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We said this quote at every single launch meeting before we launched. We told them, if you, we told the people, you know, as we're like at CrossFit Tustin having our launch meetings, if you want to come to a church where we sing the songs you like and, and preach what you like to hear, then you're at the wrong church. But if you want to be God's hands and feet extended, embedded into the fabric of the community, making a difference, that people have hope because God's speaking through us and you're at the right church. If you are part of this church, we will constantly push you out of your comfort zone. We commit to that. We commit to annoying you out of your comfort zone and to pay attention to the needs of those that look nothing like you, to pay attention and embrace discomfort to help people that can do nothing for you. You can tell a lot about someone by how they handle people that can do nothing for them. And Jesus said that you're going to find me in the eyes of the least and the last. You're going to find me not with the cool kids. And maybe if you don't feel God moving in your life, if God's not doing anything in your life, maybe you're spending too much time where he isn't. So we're going to challenge you often to support teen parents with young lives. We're going to challenge you to sponsor children at our Hope Center in the Philippines in the hood. We're going, to we're going to annoy you to run farther than you want to run for a world vision every year so we can give clean water to people that need clean water. We have a new opportunity that I want to tell you just briefly about. Staff, went, staff a few staff members and I went to like, on like a little covert uh, trip to uh, an orphanage in Tijuana last Saturday, a week ago Saturday. And uh, it was a place called Casa Hogar Belen. And uh, just got to hang out with these beautiful kids, like from like little toddlers all the way up to like high schoolers. 
and played games and did Bible stories and played soccer and volleyball and all that kind of stuff and uh, chess. Got beat by this girl at chess. That was awesome. Uh, so what we're going to do is we committed to taking a trip once a quarter. We're going to max it out like 10 people. We'll give you more information. The next trip we're going to go on is beginning of December, and we're going to, like, bless the crap out of these kids for Christmas. That's a biblical term. Uh, and, and it's not because we want to post it on social media. It's because we, these kids are amazing. Like, they're amazing. And we just want them to know that Jesus loves them too. We want them to know that they're not forgotten. They're not spare parts. They're not extras in the background of, of what's going on in the world. That God loves them too, just as much as he loves us. That the Spirit of God wants to move in their life just as much as he wants to move in ours. And then as we leave, obviously we want to encourage you to go spend too much money at Shop with the Mission. Right? Maybe eat at home instead of eating out and use that money to go buy something that you may not need there. And if, if, you, if you need a wooden spoon or you need like a, a fabric elephant, today's your day. Like if you're like, I just really need a fabric elephant today. I don't know where I'm going to find one. <laughs> I mean, God works in mysterious ways, right? So you, or maybe you're like, just do some early Christmas shopping. But what you're doing is you're not buying a, a knickknack. You're not buying a bag, although they have great stuff actually, well-made stuff. You, you, you're not buying a bag, you're giving hope right? You're letting some lady, some family know we got you. You're not alone. God loves you. The, the future is bright for your kids. You are not without hope. You're in this thing too, and we're in this thing with you. You're transferring hope. So friends, fight against the drift. Fight against the drift to preserve the past and, 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 and not advance God's kingdom. Fight against the drift towards heartless legalism. And be a person of grace, be a person of love. Fight against only thinking of your own comfort and bring God's hope to everyone that he loves, especially the least of these. And we're going to remember that by taking communion today, right? To remember the sacrifice and go, man, am I willing to do that too? Because that's what Jesus asks of us. It's like, Jesus, thank you for the cross. I don't know if I can give 10 bucks to these people, but thank you for dying on the cross for me, right? Man, God sacrificed. He said, go and do likewise. And so sometimes sacrifice looks like forgiving someone that doesn't deserve it just like you don't. And sometimes sacrifice looks like buying a, a fabric elephant for somebody, <laughs> right? So we pray for us. And then David's going to lead us in communion. God, we just thank you. You are so good, so kind, so sacrificial. God, I pray that we can reflect who you are. God, I pray that people would know that God is love because they meet us. Help us to walk past our insecurities and our own doubts and help us to represent you well. God, we want to be a church that makes you smile. I want to be people that make you smile. We thank you. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing this? Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.